Who am I? Why am I here? Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. I shall not seek and I will not accept the nomination of my party for another term as your president. Tear down this wall. And the wall just got 10 feet taller. We're going to California and Texas and New York. We're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. From the eerily quiet second floor of the AC building, sound the alarms. It's election shock therapy. It's a ghost town. (laughs) (laughs) It is. Literally, there are tumbleweeds rolling down the hallway. And yet... We have four people assembled in my office. I know. How is that possible? Let's do uh, let's do a little sound off. Who's here? Sam Mulberry. And Andy Bramson. And Mitchell Crum. It's the full election shock therapy team. We have <laughs> broken here. the glass. We have sounded the alarm because uh, not only have we not had this podcast since uh, our school year ended in the spring, but also we're on the cusp of Donald Trump naming his second Supreme Court nominee. Yeah. And uh, we just we, we, we basically hogtied Mitchell and brought him in to ask him a little bit about the courts. Before we get to that, though, um, we have some condolences to offer. Andy's uh, proud Senegalese uh, um, uh, soccer team was eliminated from the World Cup. Andy, uh, our, our sympathies are with you. Yes, thank you. Do you want to Quite talk better. about the uh, utter unfairness of the fair play rule? Well, I mean, I, I have to say like, it is arbitrary, but it's, I guess, better than the coin flip option, which was where you go after that. Um, the one thing I will say that I was comforted by when I was thinking about the fair play rules that I think we deserved every one of the yellow cards we got. <laughs> I was like, at least we didn't get any cheap yellows. So when we, took, we did yellows, we took people out. So um, <laughs> I guess that's the, the, the plus side. You completely um, tied with the Japanese team. We completely tied uh, with the Japanese team. In terms team. of points yep. and goals and everything else. Everything and else. so it fell to the tiebreaker of who had less yellow cards. Yep. Yep. That's what it came down to. And, you know, it, it, I mean, the, I guess the thing I I've always think is like, we should have just taken care of business. I mean, we, we should have beaten Japan. We were up on the, against them twice. Um, we could have salvaged a tie with Colombia. Um, we gave up a late goal to Poland that cost us. I mean, so there are a lot of different things you can look back to and say, you know, if we'd just done those things better. But, yeah, it's a frustrating way to to get eliminated from the tournament. Um, so are you still in the World Cup? Alternative. Oh, yeah. Okay, I, love, okay. I, I love World Cup. You know, the problem with, like, the World Cup, I mean, I don't know if it's a problem, but it, it's kind of a problem. Like, I... I'll think about a game like, oh, I don't really care about this game. I don't really care. But I'll always choose a team to root for. And then once I choose them, I get really into it, right? I mean, like, the other day I was watching Croatia and Russia, and I was like, I don't really care. Who should I root for? Oh, you should care about that game. I finally decided I'm rooting for Croatia because, because, I mean, like, I'm afraid the Russians might be cheating, which is always (laughs) a good guess. And so I rooted for Croatia, and I got super into it. I was like, oh. Come on, guys! Come on, come on! Which of course worked out, which was great. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I, I love the Russians. They did. I mean, they almost they almost beat them an extra time. Russia made a great comeback. It was a great goal, and then the nice penalty kick win. And it was kind of funny because in in regular time, the Croatians had a really unlucky shot where it hit the goalpost and where in an angle where it normally it would have bounced in and it bounced out somehow. But then in penalties, the Russian goalie almost stopped one and it bounced off the goalpost and went in on one where he normally would have had it out. He thought he had it, so. What the goalpost took away, it gave back later. So um, that one kind of worked out. But yeah, well, I'll be watching the last four games, the two semifinals tomorrow and Wednesday, and then um, the consolation and final this weekend. We're actually at a great moment for international sports right now for a non-Olympic summer, mm-hmm. which is the World Cup is going on. Super, It's been a super <laughs> yep. fun World Cup. It's been fun. Yeah, Wimbledon. Yeah. Right. And the Tour de France is going on right now. Oh, Which, really? I don't yeah. know if you, if you have cable and have NBC Sports or whatever. Like you can get up in the morning and turn on guys riding bikes. It's guys great. on steroids riding bikes, though, right? Yeah, but it's kind of great. Yeah. Like I don't know anything about cycling. I don't care. <laughs> but I when I when it's going on, I will. I got this from my father in law. I will wake up in the morning and turn it on, and it's kind of a pleasant way to spend a summer morning, just being like. Oh. See kind of mm-hmm. what's going on. And Look at those guys exercising. And it's, while it's, I'm it's, really, my <laughs> it's really pretty to watch. Like, so it's it's yeah. kind of a cool yeah. moment for sports that, like, as Americans, we don't tend to watch a lot. So yeah. it's kind right. of fun. Well, it was about a fifty of the dark days of American sports. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, there's about a fifty-fifty chance that whoever wins will be eventually have their title invalidated because of their kind of like of basketball. Fifty-fifty. <laughs> I mean, well, it's been about. I haven't checked in the last couple of years, but at one point I looked at it and it was like but almost 50% of the winners had, had their titles removed. Because this is a sport. Um, of course, part of that was Lance Armstrong. Like four yeah, or five but, of these so. things, and then they have to give them all back. But it wasn't just Lance Armstrong. I mean, there were oh, others. Really yeah, there's there's others as well. You know, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, I mean, it's, a, it's largely a Lance Armstrong problem, but not exclusively. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, right. I have I have I have a couple different very quick sports questions for you. Andy mentioned that he will be watching the consolation match of the World Cup. Yeah, and I, um, I think this is a feature that needs to occur in more American sports. No. Wouldn't you? Okay. People hate it though. <laughs> like I mean, people, teams ha- hate having to play it. Well, sure, and that's exactly the point. Okay, so, you want them to hate it. Yeah, okay. I wa- would. You, wouldn't you watch a one-game scrimmage between the two losers of the Eastern and Western Conference Finals in the NBA? No, it would because it, it would be weird hate watching. It's that's like that's a dark thought, Chris. Really, <laughs> I, 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 I actually are you in a bad? I'm place, not even Chris? being funny. Like, like, like that's only for darkness. Like there's there's wow. there's no good to come. Oh, I don't what, feel what that if there was about What if there's something to gain out yeah. of it? Like what? Money. What if they played for an extra draft pick? Or what if they played for um, an automatic seating in next year's tournament? The, the seating, they're both; those are both too much. Okay. Yeah. I, I, no, I just, just, just a bad idea. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, yeah. I do think uh, it, I don't want to shut you down. No, it's fine. One. It's fine. It's but a no little more. De- it's a little more defensible at the World Cup than in like Ameri- like in a sports league, um, because you have the national team thing. You have the like the third place idea, which is almost kind of like Olympics, where they play for the third, you mm-hmm. know, for the bronze medal. Yeah. So it's that kind of idea. But even there, even the World Cup, I mean, people don't really like having to do it. It's like it's kind of a bummer. You like you lose the semis and you have to play another game, and you know, and you can't really win anymore. So what are you really playing for? Yeah. Do they, do they, does it change the lineups? Do they actually alter who they play? I don't think so. I mean, they still okay. try to win ultimately, okay. but. Um. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'll watch it. Um. And can I? Can I? I realize we need to talk about Supreme Court stuff, but can but I, I have one more sports okay. question? And I have. Yeah. A, yeah. I have. I have a There's sports more. observation or retraction that I need to make. Oh. Um, okay. okay. Which is, I will often say, <clears throat> I will often say, <clears throat> I would love to see any sport and or game played at its highest level. Like, I think it would be interesting. Okay. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. This is a statement. I, I, feel heard, like, I feel like there's a butt coming here. You've heard me mm-hmm. make this statement. I have. Before. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and it's true. Like, have you ever gone to YouTube and searched for, like, world championships of foosball? It's pretty interesting to watch. <laughs> um, like, I have not gone to YouTube and okay, searched well, for you, that. I'm just giving people stuff <laughs> sure. to do during yep. the summer. Yep. Uh, about a month ago, I woke up in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep. I think I had something too salty for dinner. I couldn't sleep, was thirsty. <laughs> too much salt. <laughs> Salt keeps you awake. No, because you're thirsty. You wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm okay. thirsty. Wow. Right? Yeah. That okay. must have been a okay. lot of salt. Yeah. Well, I, it just, this is just what happened. So, okay. <laughs> okay. I, so I wandered out and I turned on the TV. I was all asleep on the couch because there's also a big ceiling fan there. It's mm-hmm. nice and cool. Giant glass of water. Yep. Just, okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, IV. And I like. turned on the TV and I turned it to, I think it was ES, I think it was ESPN2. I believe not the Ocho. No, because they had something and I saw on the menu, I saw what it was and I thought that can't be. And it turns out that it was, and it was the, I think it was the America. It wasn't the world championships, but it was like the American championships of (laughs) cornhole. Are you shut up? Really? This is basically beanbag. Oh, I'm playing cornhole. I like cornhole. Oh man, it was like in a. And you're giving a short trip by calling it beanbag toss. How good are these guys? It was in. It was in Nashville. (laughs) Of course, it was sponsored by Johnsonville Brats. (laughs) Yeah, of course it was. But like they were in like a stadium kind of thing. Now there wasn't people there, but they were in an arena, and like there were there was ESPN production value on it. Okay, (laughs) I recorded it, and then I fell asleep. And I woke up the next morning, and and I waited for Ann and the kids to get up, and I said, I want to show you something. And when I went to my DVR, I actually had the moment of thought of, like, did I dream this? This can't be real. Turned it on. It was real. And it was, like, four (laughs) hours of content. (laughs) That's so I need to retract. I assume Trey Wingo was uh, was the, was anchoring <laughs> I don't it. Remember. Was there a lot of pregame? Like did they talk about they did stuff in between the matches. And they talked. There's a lot of terminology and really? and my favorite moment. My favorite moment was, besides the word wow. cornhole. Yes, <laughs> my favorite moment was one of the players. I'm not going to pretend to remember their name. Threw a beanbag. It went directly into the hole, and the announcer said, "That's why we call him the logo." <laughs> <laughs> Wow! So he is the Jerry wow. West of cornhole. Apparently, amazing. <laughs> I rest my case. Was his, oh, was his name Steph Curry? No. Okay. How much after you DVR'd it? Mm-hmm. How much more did you watch? I watched a match and a half. Okay. Wow. That's, All right. Oh, that's yeah. pretty quick. That's yeah. not. That's not. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm saying like I might not watch anything played at its highest level mm-hmm. because that was like what are we doing as a society? <laughs> They should have just had nothing on the screen. <laughs> yeah, no. It's um, 
<laughs> I like playing that, but I, I cannot imagine wanting to watch it. <laughs> I'd like to imagine the conversation that took place inside ESPN headquarters with the scheduling department, the purchasing department, before that all went down, which is we we can get four hours of content from what? <laughs> and how much does it cost? Is this a good idea? <laughs> what is that again? Yes. For that much? Four hours? We're going to need something. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. They yeah. were, Something's got to be on from 2 to 5 in the morning. Time. They were yeah. running out the clock. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Wow. 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 Okay. Can I, can I ask Andy one more World Cup question that I'll, oh, I'll, sure. I'll let him... Um, not salt his wounds, but at least uh, salt his uh, wounds. Salt yeah. Yeah. his wounds. Borrow um, some of Sam's salt. The rest, yes. the, the the final, the the final yes. four, the yes. semifinals are all European teams. Yes, indeed. This is fraught with uh, post-colonial tensions. Right. Three of the great colonial powers are in. Three of the great colonial powers and Croatia. And Croatia. Um, and uh, as a as a as a native of Senegal, mm-hmm. um, former colony. Talk to me about how Africans will root in this final. You know, they'll probably, um, in Senegal, they'll probably be rooting for France, actually. I'm, I'm not really myself, but they probably will. They tend to be pretty sympathetic to um, the kind of colonial um, power. If okay. I mean, obviously, if, you know, if an African team was playing them, or most importantly, if Senegal was playing them, then we root for those countries. But once the African teams are out, as they always are by this point, um, then you know they tend they do tend to come kind of root for the mother country. Okay. Um, so yeah, my guess is they'll mostly be rooting for for France. Okay. Um, yeah, and the, and the likes. I mean, like France does have a lot of you know um, players who are you know from Africa sure, originally, sure, right? Sure. In terms of their ethnic identity, so um, I think that's going to be a draw as well. Okay. People like Mbappe are you know they're fun yeah. to root for. So. Who do you think is going to win? <sighs> Man. Such a it's such a toss up right now. I think yeah, France is really Belgium, really talented. Really, the great answer is Belgium. Okay, I, if I had to bet money, I'd probably go with France, but I don't feel confident at all. Like mm. it, it could be, I'd be surprised if Croatia ends up with a trophy. But yeah, um, that'd be but pretty yeah. remarkable. I could see any of the others winning, and I mean Croatia could get lucky. They're they're a scrappy little team. I picked Belgium at the start of the tournament, and I'm riding a wave okay. of being yeah. semi-right so far. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. What, I like about, good. what I like about Croatia is I like to sit with somebody who doesn't uh, know anything about soccer. So I did this with my wife when they were, you know, when they do the anthem and they pan across the team while the anthem's playing at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, I tried to, I asked her, pick out who the best player is here. And I love it because Luka Modric yeah. does not look, he looks oh, like a no. nerdy, skinny little guy. Like, yep. I'm like, that's one of the best players in the world. I know, <laughs> I know, right? He looks like the guy you're like, oh, we need an 11th. Come yeah. on over, yeah. play, let's play. I bet you let's he's like, it. I bet you he hustles people like in oh. soccer because he doesn't look like he'd be that good. The same is true amazing. of Messi. Yeah. Messi does not, like he, the, way he, the, way he, the way he carries himself yeah. too, yeah. Yeah. He, he doesn't, doesn't carry himself star. like a, like LeBron mm-hmm. James carries himself like a Greek god, Yeah. right? Suarez. Yeah, and, and, um, yeah. And um, uh, Ronaldo, I mean, he looks like... He oh, Cristiano probably, Ronaldo, you yeah, know he's, he's important. He looks like he's Just really like good him. at soccer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Messi yeah. looks like he's really good at doing your taxes. Right. Um, right. And as it, turns out, as it turns out, he's kind of amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. From the World Cup to Cornhole and back again. There we go. Right. Let's talk about the Supreme Court. <laughs> Let's go to politics. So, um, I'll set the stage just a little bit here, but then I want to throw it over to you guys. Um, Anthony Kennedy announced after the end of this court this session of the court that he was retiring and um yep. this is the second time that donald trump will get to nominate a replacement for the supreme court the first his first nominee was confirmed which is neil gorsuch mm-hmm. uh, that uh that became available because anthony uh, Scalia uh, passed away during barack obama's administration right but Mitch McConnell, the Republican Senate leader, um, was within his power to not consider any nominees uh, by Barack Obama and so did not fill the seat under the Obama administration. The right. seat remained empty until Donald Trump came into power and Donald Trump appointed Gorsuch. But this is different and significantly different because unlike Scalia, who was a reliably conservative member of the bench or, or one of the most conservative members of the bench and replaced with the mo- one of the most conservative members on the bench, mm-hmm. um, Kennedy, although he is a conservative, is often the swing vote on very close votes in mm-hmm. the in the court, and now that swing vote probably moves significantly to the right. So mm-hmm. the stakes are high, and what do we know about replacing Supreme Court justices like Anthony Kennedy? So, 
Well, what, what what do we know about replacing justices like Anthony Kennedy? Um, so there are a couple. So I mean, there's sort of two things to note. I mean, one of the things to think about Kennedy's nomination itself. So when Kennedy was nominated um, in '87 by by Reagan, um, he was he was nominated because um, the Democrats had just successfully opposed Reagan's uh, previous appointment, which was uh, which was uh, Bork uh, yeah. Robert Bork. So um, Bork was opposed specifically because he was known to be um, a fairly well. He was known for being one of the most conservative um, judges in America at the time um, and for having very strong originalist uh, views. And I don't know if we want to get into this, but interestingly, his views are substantially different in some ways from uh, Scalia's originalism. Mm-hmm. Um, can you, can you just briefly define what originalism is? So originalism is the idea that essentially the Constitution should be interpreted um, using the understandings that it would have had at the time it was written. So basically, if you go back and you say, what does... Um, what does cruel and unusual punishment mean? This has been a hot, a hot one for this one. Mm-hmm. It's easy to say. You say, well, what does cruel mm-hmm. and unusual punishment mean in you know 1789 when this was ratified, um, essentially? Now, of course, it's not quite that cut and dried. Mm-hmm. You know, you can right. you look around at the time of the founding and say, right. okay, um, you know, would 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 um, uh, you know, I mean, just to use an extreme example, you know, would, would hanging have been understood by the by the framers as something that was cruel and unusual? You can go back and you can see that no, in fact, I mean, there were a number of states that still used hanging um, fairly regularly to carry out public executions. Therefore, right. we can conclude they did not intend to outlaw hanging, and so then we can sort of extrapolate from that that uh, you know other modern forms of execution that are perhaps even less. Um, uh, grisly and, and distasteful, unusual. yeah, right, right. Um, would 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 certainly have been allowed by 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 the authors of the Constitution. Therefore, okay. an originalist right. would say this is okay. Right. Um, so that's that's sort of the classic originalism, right? You look back, you say what did the what did this mean to the framers? I mean, that's the question mm-hmm. you're always asking. Mm-hmm. It's. Um, which is just a, just a kind of as an aside, which is slightly different, and this is where people get confused sometimes on this, from what's referred to as textualism, which is mm-hmm. the idea that essentially you just look at the words of the Constitution, use a dictionary, and try to figure out what they mean just from the words. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So Justice Black is the most famous of the textualists, and he came to views that were often seen by many as at odds with originalism, simply because mm-hmm. he would say the words mean something um, you know, and basically just the, mm-hmm. the people who wrote them and, in, 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 you know, who are the founders didn't fully understand what they had written. Um, and so if you're just using a dictionary, um, you come to different conclusions from originalism. Right. Right. Anyway, um, so all that is to say... Um, uh, Bork. What's interesting about what was interesting about Bork, just as a quick aside, is he used what uh, I what I would kind of think of as a more sort of what we think of as quote unquote moral um, originalism, and that was he would focus more on the uh, morality that was at play at the time of the founding, whereas right. Scalia would say what well, would be a little bit more what we might think of just sort of legalistic in that sense, where he would say what would the laws be, how would we understand right. the laws right. at that time. Interestingly, just as I don't know, I'm sorry, this is this funny is great. trail, but um, but interestingly, I think, and this is just my you know. I, I, Again, I'm not I'm I'm not a lawyer, so I want to sort of bracket you know that. <laughs> but uh, but <laughs> but uh, but I do want to say that I think the person who sort of inherits um, Bork's view of originalism um, in in interesting ways is Alito. So okay. Okay. Um, Justice Alito actually seems to have sort of that more moral sense of originalism, um, and where that came out perhaps most strikingly was in the case um, uh, with the um, oh. Phelps and uh, why can't the Westboro Baptist? <laughs> oh sure. Um, and uh, basically, the the majority in the court, in fact, almost all of the uh, justices on the court, um, ruled that this was essentially a free speech issue that they ought mm-hmm. to be able to protest soldiers' funerals, um, and that this was just a matter of free speech and political right. statement. And Alito disagreed, and the reason he disagreed was he said if we go back to the founding, so once again originalism, mm-hmm. and we look at the morality that was at play, and we think about the moral norms that they were trying to endorse, um, this is not okay. It's not okay to go and protest, um, you know, sort of use speech in this way. It's an immoral use of speech. The founders were okay with um, restricting things on moral grounds. Therefore, this Mm -hmm. this should be Mm -hmm. restrictable. Um, So at any rate, all that is to say, um, so so all all that was just to think, I think Bork would have agreed with that. And so Bork's nomination was, uh, was perhaps even to the right in some senses, right and left sort of break down at this level but mm-hmm. um but bork was was in some ways 
viewed by many as being even more extreme than than uh, than than Justice Scalia. Okay. And the worry was that he was replacing Justice Powell, who was known to be a relative moderate at the time mm-hmm. on the court. Mm-hmm. And the worry was that this would swing the court um, much more strongly to the right um, at the time, which sounds again, suspiciously in, again in eighty seven. Like here. now, right? right We're yeah. talking about eighty seven. You know, um, so in the retirement of yeah. Justice Powell. Um, the other thing we should add too about that era, maybe just for context, is. Um, there's a big switch between 86 when Scalia gets um, confirmed to the court and 87 when Bork gets rejected, and that is that the Republicans had control of the Senate in 86. They lose it in those midterms that fall, and so by 87, the Democrats have control of um, the Senate. And so yes. they, some of the Republicans actually did end up voting against Bork as well, but um, but it was a there had been a switch in Senate control, which mattered yeah. a lot. Yep. Uh, Right, and particularly, well, I, get, I don't know how in the weeds we want to get on this, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but at any rate, uh, but yeah, that's where it also mattered. I mean, in the sense that also uh, Joe Biden himself actually was uh, head of the um, Judicial Committee and basically was one of the ones who spearheaded sort of the, the deep dive investigations into Justice Bork's history and judicial proceedings. A, a, a Republican chair might would probably not have allowed such a right. um, serious investigation at the yeah. time. Um, but at any rate, uh, all that is to say, so so the circumstances look fairly similar, and Reagan appointed Kennedy as somebody who was more moderate um, once once Bork was rejected. Um, still reliably conservative. Still reliably conservative, but someone who is seen as not as far to the right, um, and, and so, right. sort of like, um, I hesitate to, I mean, ideological is sort of a loaded term, but it was seen as less ideological than Bork. Yeah. Um, somebody who mm-hmm. wasn't who wasn't sort of hard line on particular views. I think he got unanimously confirmed, didn't he? Or it was pretty close. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was really yeah, it was, it was close. overwhelming. I don't remember. Anyway. Yeah. Um, and part of part of part of what was even at the time, um, there were hints that Justice Kennedy would kind of take the route that he's gone. He had spoken positively in a couple of decisions of Roe v. Wade, for example. Mm. Um, and so Mm-hmm. There were hints that he was not going to be sort of the, you know, he was not going to be another Scalia for sure. Um, people sort of knew that, but they felt that he would be a, a you know, reliable, reliable conservative. And this is where things get kind of interesting. Well, sorry, what, what was the original question was just about uh, the moment here. What can we learn? And so, well, this is good. So, this yeah. is telling so, us how the court has changed over time, too. right? And so, and so, and so, what we can sort of learn from Kennedy's moment and what how that relates to this moment um, in in many ways is. Um, there's, there is a lot of resistance oftentimes when you get um, what's perceived as a shift um, in the balance of power on the court. Um, and we'll probably see that resistance um, played out in terms of politics. It seems very unlikely it will be that um, Democrats in the Senate will be able to stop um, this particular nominee for Correct. the reasons that uh, right. Andy just mentioned, right. which is, you know, that they, they simply don't have a majority in the Senate. And um, yeah, so so essentially barring some kind of discovering some sort of horrific mm-hmm. scandal mm-hmm. in the past of the candidate mm-hmm. um it's pr- they will probably be confirmed right having um, said that i mean the republicans have a narrow margin to play with yes. right and, and some republicans even though you know the parties have become much more ideological as we've discussed on this you know um podcast before um they do have some relatively moderate members they have some yep. people who are you know pro-choice for example right um who are pro-gay marriage right and so um, I think there are going to be hard questions asked. I mean, Susan Collins yep. of Maine, for example, who came out and said, you know, I'm not um, I'm not supportive of a candidate who is hostile to Roe v. Wade. Right. So that, that, that still leaves open, like, phrasing what does that important. mean, right? I mean, how, how, right. you know, how opposed do you have to be to be hostile, <laughs> right? But, um, but it, it does suggest, I mean, it's not a completely free ride, right? The Republicans can only lose one, yeah. one senator mm-hmm. on the vote, assuming that the Democrats were to all vote. Against, and assuming is, John McCain does not vote. Which is right. So if John McCain does right. not vote, which he probably won't, then they can lose nobody, right? I mean, right? Or uh, they can they, lose one. They can still, they can lose, still one. lose one. Okay. And if he's one. not available, because yeah. because you have the tiebreaker. Right. And John McCain votes. hasn't been there since right. December. So yeah. right. so you have to assume John McCain will not be present. Um, so it's it's very tight, right? I mean that they yeah. um, you know they they can't lose many people. They might well get a few Democratic votes in the end. Um, you know, there's especially vulnerable senators who are up this fall. I think you're going to have to be careful, but. But if it came down to like the, those people could actually beat a nominee that they didn't like, they might do it, right? They yep. might go ahead and take that hit. For our listeners, I want to add two other things for context here. Uh, Mitch uh, show, talked about the Bork nomination being rejected. First, that was a very earth-shaking event when it happened in '87. Huge. Uh, it has typically been the practice for much of American history that Supreme Court nominees are not rejected by the Senate. Right. There's um, there's an advice and consent procedure, and at least for much of the last century. Uh, whatever the president nominates, the president gets. Yep. There's been some eyebrows raised, but over time, the court has become increasingly divisive and increasingly right. ideological. 
that didn't start with Roe v. Wade. That started probably with the I'm going to say the Marshall Court, probably. Right. Yeah. Um, but in, as it became increased, and 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 certainly before that, with FDR and his attempts at court packing, that's when the court became a real political football. Yeah. Uh, but over time, the court has become more of a more ideological. But but Bork actually being rejected was huge. Right. And since that time, in the subsequent 30 years, the Senate has become increasingly polarized. We're in one of the most polarized positions of the Senate. Andy talked about there being a few moderates. But the Senate is known as, in the past, a place where there were plenty of Democrats who are more conservative than Republicans and vice versa. Maybe Republicans more liberal than than some Democrats. That's no longer the case. Uh, Even someone like Susan Collins, though she is... um, moderate is still far more conservative than almost any democrat yeah. in uh in the in the senate For sure. they're about we're talking about basically five senators three three democrats two republicans who are kind of in this moderate era not all by their own choice by the way right. uh we're looking at uh joe donnelly uh or i'm joe, sorry yeah joe donnelly joe, joe, Don- manchin, joe manchin the two joes um, um, heidi heitkamp heidi heitkamp uh who are all, all democrats all facing re-election right in states that Donald Trump won handily, right. and two Republicans, Susan Collins um, and um, Murkowski. Uh, yeah, Lisa Murkowski. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think and, and uh, I, this I just, is this oh, is a very divisive Senate, and so it it's w- what that leads us to say is Donald Trump will get a nominee confirmed. That 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 that's not in question. Right. The question is, does he nominate someone early on who's so radical that some Republicans push back on it right. and force him to choose somebody a little bit more moderate? I think personally, I think that's very unlikely. Yeah, the only way I think the only way you get a Bork is if for some reason they are unable to confirm somebody before the fall, and I can't imagine that happening. Yeah. Um, what you could get is a Harriet Myers, right? And Harriet Myers was Bush's first nominee um, to replace. Um, to replace Sandra Day O'Connor back mm-hmm. in 2005, right? And Republicans raised concerns she's not really qualified. She doesn't really know you know what she's talking about. She doesn't have the kind of you know legal chops to really be on the Supreme Court, which I think were very legitimate concerns. And so she ended up re- withdrawing um, right. to avoid that. And then they, they put Alito forward who was well qualified and he got confirmed, right? So um, I think you, know, you could see that kind of thing. The Bork thing was really shocking, right, in 87. And I think it's worth emphasizing that point um, because what we've typically rejected in the past is people who weren't qualified right nixon right. put together a couple of people who are you know the bar association was saying these people really aren't the kind of level that you you want in the supreme court bork was clearly qualified he had the intellect he had the background he had you know everything you want in the supreme court it's just that people disagree with him ideologically right same thing with um obama's nominee two years ago right i mean clearly well qualified um should have been on the supreme court but rejected for purely political reasons right we You're don't merrick garland this person merrick garland, merrick garland right yeah. um you know he, he clearly Clearly, you know, both he and Bork were clearly incredibly well qualified. I mean, much more well qualified, frankly, than some of the people that are sitting on the court, right? Um, in terms of experience, background, and so forth. Yep. And yet, both were rejected um, based purely on political issues. Right. Yep. And that's unfortunate. I think. I mean, in terms of like the law, then and the the justice is being politicized, right? But that's that's kind of where we are as a country right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um Again, I don't know how how far we want to go down sort of sort of that hole, but I mean, p- part of the concern um, with with the politicalization of the court, I mean, is exactly yeah. what Andy just said. I mean, the, the the stakes in 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 turning the court into a political, as as, as Chris said, uh, turning it into a political football, in that sense, means you know, if if you go back to the if you go back again to the founding, right, and you start to think about what what does freedom mean um, with the Constitution, one of the core ideals of freedom is that you have the idea of the rule of law, and that is that you. Um, it's not individuals making these decisions. It's that you make laws that are relatively, you know, that hopefully are made with with a view towards the common good. And particularly the Constitution itself is supposed to be this relatively neutral for the common good um, type document. And then basically that is over and above any of the particular desires, interests and goals, political goals of the individuals mm. who, who happen to be in power at the time. The goal being, you know, that if you if you have, you know, say, for example, you have a king, um, then you and, and they're sort of this absolute ruler in that sense, you know, then you don't have the rule of law because mm. whatever their desires, outcomes, etc., become the law and you're never really safe. So the rule of law gives mm. liberty because it gives you safety. It gives you the right. ability to know here's the law, here are right. certain things that people can't change and can't really touch. It's the, And that's essentially the idea behind the Constitution and behind the Supreme Court is it sort of gives you that stability and that rule. Yeah. Was... <clears throat> In the founding, what was what's the rationale for lifetime appointments 
for the Supreme Court? Mm-hmm. And has there ever been moves to even put on long limits on the Supreme Court? I mean, that would be a constitutional amendment, obviously. Right. Mm-hmm. Has there? I mean, has there ever been moments for that, and what was the rationale originally? Because that's very different than almost right. anything else in our government. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, I mean, really, I mean, I mean, I mean, the lifetime appointments go directly to that. I mean, the idea is you want people on the court who are never beholden to any kind of political sure. interests. And so, in other words, the reason you have lifetime appointments is you say you, you never have to go before voters again. Right. Um, and so, essentially, that frees you then to say, I think this is what the Constitution means absent you know whatever this may do to, even that's different than even if like a 15 or 20 year appointment I mean, like like you could have a, appointments that are long ranging but right. I mean, if you think about something mean, somebody who gets appointed in their mid 40s like like we could be talking about yeah like yeah. 40, when i'm re- 40 years of appointment yeah like past yeah. when i'm retired mm-hmm. from bethel like this <laughs> yeah. person's still on the court like oh, yeah. that's yeah that's a really interesting thing I mean, I, you yeah. know in yeah. part in the 1700s are people not living as long so when you think about a lifetime appointment right. you're not necessarily thinking about this guy's going to be there when they're 85 although uh just Ruth bader ginsburg is right now yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just seven she's still in her 70s but no she's 85 she's born in 33 ginsburg? yeah okay. I, I, th- I believe you I th- <laughs> yeah i was gonna say don't I, challenge I, me on birthdays I, th- I think that's right um <laughs> i'm the birthday guy. yeah um, I don't have her day, birthday, but year. But 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 uh, yeah, I, it is it is um, it is it is curious. I mean, part of it part of it obviously is changing demographics. I mean, you know, uh, length of time, and also it's a change. Um, and I think I think in particular, just in the last, you know, it's hard to put, pin it exactly down, but especially in the last fifty years, um, you know, the role of the court has changed so much. I mean, right. the role of the court has become you know polit- politicized in that sense. It's not just about the rules. And so, if, if, if at the founding, I mean, if you have sort of this vision of the Constitution and of law as being this sort of fixed thing that really restrains, you want it to be there really to restrain the political rulers, right? This is a mm-hmm. check on mm-hmm. the presidency. It's a check on Congress right. to say you can go this far, but no further. We're going to stop you once you go, even if it's very popular, like even if right. you know right. vast majorities of Americans want this. If it goes too far, we're going to stop you. Um, and you know the idea is that in some ways it doesn't matter who's on the court. Um, if that's <laughs> if that's sort of the vision yeah. of the law, mm-hmm. then you know it, it. You know you can plug it so long as you got somebody who's very competent, somebody who knows the law very well, which is why you want the Senate to check for competency. Um, then it really doesn't matter. I mean, you can plug in whoever you want. It's sort of the vision, and that kind of works. Sort of. Mm-hmm. That's sort of um, Ju- Chief Justice John Roberts' view of the law. That is Justice Roberts' view of the law, which we can talk more about later. I think that's mm-hmm. why you know folks on the right who are very enthusiastic about sort of overturning major decisions can be very disappointed. Um, but uh, yeah, because Roberts has sort of this much older sort of, in, in that sense, even more, you know, it's sort of, sort of in, some people have argued he's sort of out originalists, the originalists, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because really Roberts seems to have this. He's an origi- originalist hipster. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because he sort of, he really has sort of this yeah. vision of this is what the court's role is supposed to be. The court's role is supposed to be what the founders intended it to be, which is just you enforce the laws, you stop right. Congress and the presidency when they go beyond the law. Right. Um, but you don't do anything else. Mm-hmm. Like you don't try to do radical things. You don't try to overturn. You don't try to b- make big moves to overturn. Right things that the court has already ruled on right. you just you just basically sort of stay the course which and is why he for example does not overturn Obamacare even though you can make a very right. strong case mm-hmm. for there saying look I, I can find a rationale of how this is okay constitutionally and so I I'm going to right because I don't want the court just stepping in and overturning the political mm-hmm. process right, right. which made yep. the other four conservatives including Kennedy really upset right but yep. but that was his his kind of reasoning, right? That this is not really what the court is supposed to do, right? Th- yep. This is a political thing. You elected Barack Obama. You elected Democratic leadership. They did this. And if there's any constitutional justification for it, I'm going to try to find that and sign off on it. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. So, so all that is to say, like, in terms, in terms of the history, right, and what, and what sort of brought us here, um, it really, you know, it, it's, in, in some ways, um, it's, it, what, what's, What's odd and what and sort of sort of the thing to look for and to think about with with whoever President Trump appoints is to think about what what kind of um, will 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 this person actually be able to um, what, well I guess I guess I should say what, what I'm trying to say is what kind of originalism is this person going to bring right? right are they going to be sort of an originalist in the mm-hmm. sense of Roberts where they try to sort of go back and say the court's supposed to have this much more drawn back reserved role which at least on paper is what Justice Scalia himself said he wanted right he wanted the court <laughs> to draw back and right. not get involved in these major um, things now he did, you know there's 
strong arguments to make he didn't always do that but <laughs> right um right. but nonetheless right that's sort and so that i think is sort of one of the questions as far as what does um what what kind of originalism do we get yeah so yeah. as a mm-hmm. as, as a lay person a civilian watching this <laughs> play out this summer as names are brought up and even a nomination is made and and the the confirmation process uh what can i be looking for to learn about what their view of originalism is what their view yeah. like 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 i mean i'm not going to read a bunch of decisions probably right, right. So like like yeah. how can yeah. i learn that um or so who can i trust telling you about trust, it yeah that's <laughs> so so uh, what what will obviously happen i mean this is i mean the thing to expect of course as soon as president trump names somebody which we're expecting it tonight um there will immediately be um you know, very extreme views, as I'm sure you're expecting. I mean, mm-hmm. some people will say this person is the most wonderful, you know, and you can expect the oh, usual yeah. suspects to say that. And yep. then you'll hear, you know, from from leadership and um, on the Democrats, you'll hear that this is this person's terrible. They're gonna um, everything is gonna go to to hell in a handbasket if you you know if you if if this person's appointed. Um, so if 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 you want to get um, if 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 you want to get a sort of a more sober view, there are a couple. I mean, I can sort of direct. So there are a couple of places that I rely on that a lot of people rely on. I think to get sort of more serious looks at at some of this. Um, one of them is just the SCOTUS blog. Um, SCOTUS I was blog. You'd mention that. Uh, yeah. So yeah, SCOTUS blog is kind of um, a go-to, and they are good both for um, both. Both if you are somebody who is a lawyer, because they will link you up to all of the um, legal um, documents and things. But they're also good for a layperson because they will post um, articles that are specifically geared to be mm-hmm. in plain terms, okay. um, and these are all written by lawyers, well-respected folks, and they will you they in general they shoot pretty straight. Um, so if you've got somebody who's very extreme the people on there will probably say they're extreme. And oftentimes they're very good about, you know, and I imagine this will be true this time as well. They'll get sort of a, uh, sort of, um, forum of different views, right? They'll get five Mm -hmm. or six different people, um, that'll give you different takes, but it'll all be moderate takes. Um, another place to check out sometimes, um, which is also useful is, uh, is is the website lawfare. Um, Mm -hmm. that one also is very useful. They deal oftentimes more with, uh, foreign affairs. I-R-R-E. Uh, F A R E, yeah, like warfare but lawfare. Okay, yeah, gotcha. this is lawfare. Yeah, um, <laughs> they oftentimes deal more with. Yeah, there's an amusement park, right? right. That's that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, which which could be appropriate sometimes. It's it's a fair. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah. I've gone to a lawfare before. <laughs> hmm. Maybe it should be. Lawfare. I'd, lo- I'd love to have a lawfare. Anyway, um, <laughs> the elephant ears are fantastic. <laughs> um, State fairs next month. Guys. Yeah. Um, Mitch McConnell serves the elephant ears. Um, oh, but anyway, <laughs> so anyway, uh, all that's to say, they, they will probably have some takes on this that will also be from very respected lawyers um, who will give you a more moderate um, take on that. Um, the other, I mean, the other places to look um, that will probably give you some good ideas. I mean, is, is sort of the places you would expect. I think, um, I you know, I, I would definitely check out some of the more well-known. Um, folks on like the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal op-ed pages, they will usually have more sober assessments. I mean, I would I would expect, um, you know, David Brooks, for example, to give a fairly, mm-hmm. um, you know, even though he's somebody who comes from the right, he's somebody who's going to give you a more moderate and mm-hmm. serious look. Are confirmation mm-hmm. hearings so. televised? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, probably. Okay. It depends. It depends on when you tune in. I okay. mean, can I you, offer a hot take on that? Yeah. They're increasingly less interesting. Okay. Uh, ever since yeah. um, the Harriet Myers, well, Harriet Myers didn't actually start. start right, her she didn't have confirmation hearings. Uh, since Bork, the yeah. strategy uh, for confirmation has been to say as little as possible. Right. Okay. Right. You talk so around it. So we have it. lots of senators trying to get the 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 pointy to say something yeah. interesting, like how they feel about Roe v. Wade, for example. Um, and right. the justices will strenuously avoid, or, or the nominees will strenuously avoid saying something interesting. Right. So it feels like watching an exercise in futility as Correct. they're asking it, questions that aren't yeah. answered. Okay. To political scientists, which is often very interesting. Okay. Right. Yeah, they. I mean, there's a lot of, um, like, they're they're out, and their big out is that we can't talk about that because that might come up in a case that yeah. the court would rule on, and I don't want to prejudge because I'm a judge, sure. and we don't prejudge, we just rule according to the law, right? And so they'll, they'll give variations on that, answer mm-hmm. 
all day long. So you, will any of you be live tweeting the confirmation hearings? No, I will Pro- not. I, don't tweet. Okay. I mean, if, 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 if things become super duper heated, I, I might sort of like li- occasionally I will like live blog on Facebook okay. for something, but I don't, I don't usually. Um, that actually leads yeah. me to the next thing I wanted to ask you about, Mitch, which is the selection process itself. Yes. We have spent a couple of, almost a couple of years now talking about the intemperate nature of the president. Yes. Uh, Donald Trump, says lots of things often as soon as he thinks of them mm-hmm. and is uh, switches his policies and um, behaves well to be honest sometimes erratically yeah. and mm-hmm. there's a there's a temptation to want to assume that whoever he nominates for the court would act in a similar way and i sort of heard some jokey kind of responses once we heard kennedy was retiring uh that he might nominate um a television judge of some kind a judge judy type or i I believe judge wapner is is deceased but you know something like that um and that's just not true and what we need to say is the selection process has been pretty buttoned down for this whole thing um uh, there's a a group called the federalist society uh which is like a very conservative originalist attending um uh think tank they provided a list of 25 vetted supreme court potential supreme court justices to our knowledge donald trump has worked exclusively off of that list mm-hmm. has is down to maybe three or four names yep and we'll hear one of them tonight or we should hear one of them tonight yeah. so uh this this is not a wide-ranging open it, it's worth noting you don't have to be a lawyer to be nominated to the court you don't have to have any judicial experience nominated to the court yeah. yep. you just have to be an american citizen is there an so. age nope I don't believe there's mm, even an age. No, I don't think so. so if you wanted to, you know, if you wanted to nominate, I was, um, Baron Selena Gomez. Trump. I was, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to go Baron Trump, but yeah. Uh, Baron Trump. Yeah. Uh, in theory, you could do that. They're American citizens. Uh, so, but, um, that's not what's going to happen. We're going right. to see a relatively straightforward, reliably conservative judge. And so that's, that's the process. And so mm-hmm. we're not going to get, mm-hmm. we're not going to get pyrotechnics out of this. No, no, no. I mean, the four people they've, you know, 538 had a, um, post on the four that are considered the, the smart money's on one of the four of those people and they're all incredibly serious judges they're all well qualified I mean one mm-hmm. of them um, Amy Barrett has less of a paper trail I think than the other three but but I mean you know they're all you know they all clear the bar it's an in interesting evangelical and Pentecostal ties so yeah. oh, does she okay I don't, yes yes yeah. she does well, although she's <laughs> Catholic so she is but she belongs to this yeah. group which I heard described on on a secular podcast as a Catholic Pentecostal evangelical organization, and those, my friends, are some people right. that need a Christianity and politics class. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I think one of the, my disappointments with all this in recent years has been it has become just like people who have judicial experience almost. It's, it's become almost exclusively that, and I think the court is worse off in some ways for not having people who have a little bit more on the political side. I mean, you don't want all politicians, right? but we have a long tradition in this country actually of putting some politicians in the court, people who have actually had elected office experience. William Howard Taft, for example. So, Well, yeah, yeah, William Howard Taft, you know, former president who did this, but, um, you know, we had former governors, former senators, House members, and I think, you know, it's a disadvantage to have people who have never been involved in crafting legislation and who don't really yeah. know about that that process really other than sort of in an abstract way in the kind of way we know about it I mean, which mm-hmm. is different than knowing about it as somebody who did it right and the last person we had who had elected experience on the court was sandra day o'connor who right. actually served yep. as a, yep. a state legislature um but since then we've had only sort of these pure jurists right and so for that reason i'd love to see trump nominate somebody like a you know mike lee of utah or john cornyn of texas right, right. Um, who have that kind of extensive legislative experience um who also have the judicial chops i mean they could do the you know the, the legal side very well but I think that would be interesting. I don't think it's going to happen. All the four no. people he's talking about are all, or at least the smart money's on, are all sort of these pure jurist types. But I think it'd be good to to kind of come back to that. But we'll see. Well, let me ask one more very speculative question, and and from from all of you, if you want, um, does Trump care about the court? Now, this hmm. was clearly a deal he made. Uh, or a promise he made to some of his evangelical voters who were very dubious about supporting yeah. someone with the moral character of Donald Trump. Yeah. But the argument, which we've heard almost ad nauseum at this point, was, but the courts. Right. right. right? If Hillary Clinton had but her emails, <laughs> Donald Trump had but the courts. And it was, right. this guy is going to get us reliably conservative justices. And who knows, maybe we could overturn something like Roe v. Wade for, for people right. who are pro-life. Um, and... Uh, is this something that he himself is deeply invested in? Does he care deeply about the court itself? Um, 
That's a hard question. That's a really hard question. I think I think it's a yeah. hard question in this sense, and that is, um, we have to, we, first of all we have to sort of ask ourselves to what extent President Trump cares about anything governing. I mean, and I don't mean yeah. that sort of like facetiously. I don't mm-hmm. mean that in terms mm-hmm. of like as as necessarily like a jab at him. Um, I mean that in the sense of President Trump. Um, seems to have essentially seen his role as somebody who sort of ge- sort of gives a big picture and then expects other people to carry it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. so in the sense that, you know, and so in, in, in sort of the best sense, President Trump seems to have very little interest in sort of the the down on the ground, what does it mean to govern? Um, mm-hmm. How do you actually, mm-hmm. you know, what kind of, what are the particulars of the policies we want to put in place? What are the right. particulars of the actions we want to take? Yep. He's, okay. He has shown very little interest in that. And so when we think about the court, the court sort of in nominating somebody sort of sits at an interesting sort of like on the one hand it is just sort of picking somebody i think that's why president trump has actually seemed to show some real interest in this where he's like oh i just get to choose a person and sort of send them off to do something right um and that's with with his reality show experience picking somebody like that is i mean that's something he's well familiar with right right? evaluating talent and and putting Mm -hmm. it forward yep and mm-hmm. I think, and I think that's, and I think that's how he sees this. I think he sort of sees this yeah. as, I get to pick somebody. That's why he wants this sort of big, sort of you know, TV show sort of rollout tonight. It's not, yeah. you know, it, it's not sort of a regular press conference like you would normally expect with um, presidents in the past. There's sort of this big build up where we're gonna. Will all the finalists be there? Yeah, well, I don't know. Them? I don't know if all the finalists will be there. A gavel, I believe. You give them a gavel. He wasn't yeah. on <laughs> um, <laughs> that show. <laughs> So, um, but anyway, so, so in that sense, he seems to care in, in about this in the sense that he seems to, you know, for, from all reports anyway that I've seen, yeah. he does seem to have taken like the vetting process seriously. He seems mm-hmm. to have taken seriously mm-hmm. doing the interviews, which is normal. I mean, presidents will normally interview and right. do some serious vetting of the people that are, you know, mm-hmm. the sort of finalists mm-hmm. and contenders that they're thinking about appointing. That's, that part is normal. And so, um, in that sense, President Trump has sort of gone through the normal process um to the extent that he cares um you know there have been some speculation that he's trying to find somebody who will be sympathetic to some of his immigration policies and things like that so maybe he cares about that i i i'm not 100 percent convinced that he's really that concerned with even even with those policies isn't isn't the bigger deal going back to what you said in terms of the election that it's that this is a this is a win that he can have to say like yep. yes. this is yep. why you elect, yep. like like I deli- look I delivered two of these folks that you wanted yep. Yep. to his to his right. voters like yep. I mean that so the yep. fact that somebody gets through that they're happy I mean the fact that the list isn't his list it's their list right so like right. Okay, right. you give me the list right. I'll right. pick somebody I'll give you and like that's a pretty big gift mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. to Supreme Court justices yeah it's it's unusual to like have let somebody else set the list for you I mean no one else has ever done that. Um, and I think I think that's right. I mean, I think he cares about that, about the optics yeah. of it, about the politics of it, about like sort of what this does for him politically, much more than what this person is going to do on the court, with the possible exception of some of those policies. But again, the court's really about long term, not short term. Yeah. Um, you know, they just gave they mean they did rule in his favor with Kennedy recently, right? So it's not yeah. like that's been a, a a huge huge issue for him. So. Yeah, I think it's really more about the yeah. the win. Can I can I say I've, I've got like a couple other things I wanted to kind of go for it. about this. So one of them was and and I think this sort of comes back to Sam's point here to some degree, right? I mean, saying that you know for President Trump this is just about a big win, and I think that's absolutely right. Um, but I think one of the other people that we should be thinking about is sort of the unsung hero of this moment, um, the person mm. who deserves the real credit for this, and who really doesn't hasn't. I have seen almost do I no hear strains of my old Kentucky home? You do. This is Mitch McConnell's moment. Yeah, like this, mm-hmm. and and Mitch McConnell has really been undersold in this. Yeah. But really, if you want to thank one person for making this happen, it is Mitch McConnell. Um, you know, Mitch McConnell was the absolute implacable foe of President Obama for for eight <laughs> years, and then um, and, and essentially, I mean, he, you know, the reason. If you want to, if you wanted to sort of pin on why did President Obama not accomplish things, especially in the second term, like the person you can most credit that with is Mitch McConnell. I mean, Mitch mm-hmm. McConnell is the one who was able to rally the Republican senators, um, even though, as Chris pointed out, you know, the, it's increasingly polarized. The Senate is still an incredibly fractious body, mm-hmm. and yet Mitch McConnell has managed to hold together the coalition when it counted, mm-hmm. yeah. um, and especially when it counted when it came to the Supreme Court. You know, it's very rare. Senators oftentimes will, if there's one place where they break with their 
particular party, it's in voting for uh, Supreme Court justices. Oftentimes, Supreme Court justices are uh, are basically voted on with wide margins, even when they're opposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that Mitch McConnell was able to hold the Republicans together to stop President Obama's appointment is just astounding. I mean, it's just yeah, beyond it belief. It shows an incredible amount of political skill on his part. Um, and so not only was he able to prevent President Obama there, but he has now said that, you know, no matter what, President Trump's nominee will come through. And Mitch McConnell is effective enough that I believe him. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he's going to fail on that promise. Mm-hmm. You know, Mitch McConnell, you know, there's sort of the popular saying that politics is the art of the possible. Mm-hmm. And if there's mm-hmm. one person who understands what's possible and when to speak and when to shut up, it is Mitch McConnell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mitch McConnell doesn't make idle promises when he says this is possible. It's 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 possible, right? right. And when he says, right. and right. when he sort of hems and haws, you know, this is when people get mad at him because they'll be like, "Oh, well, is the Senate going to pass this?" And he'll say, "Well, I don't know. We'll see. We're going to do our best." You yeah. know what that means is it's probably not possible, right? Mm-hmm. And he's not going to say it is. Yeah. And so this really is sort of Mitch McConnell's moment. Like Mitch mm-hmm. McConnell has mm-hmm. made this out. This is not President Trump's moment. President Trump, as we've already said, is just filling in the blank with somebody from a list that other people gave him. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Mitch McConnell basically getting exactly yeah. the court that yeah. he wanted, that he's fought for over a yep. decade for. And so, you know, if you want to think of one person who's winning at this moment, it's Mitch McConnell. Yeah. Like he deserves the medal at this at this time. And he, and and to the earlier question, I mean, and he does care deeply, right? Yes. Like yes. This is Absolutely. this is tremendously important yep. to Mitch McConnell in a way that it yep. isn't to Donald Trump. Yep. Yeah. And so, yeah. So that was sort of my um, the one thing I wanted to make sure to get to. <laughs> well, let me, is, um, we, as we as we wrap up this topic. I want to get you I know this is really hard because just for the same reason that the justices themselves don't want to prejudge cases they don't like to talk about how they would re-adjudicate settled mm-hmm. law they don't yeah. like to speculate about future court cases which is exactly what all of us want them to right. do <laughs> right first let's talk about anxious some, a very anxious question um, whether my friends are pro-life or pro-choice everyone believes that a new trump uh, justice will put the question of roe v wade on the table into into play based on what we know about the court based on what we know about um, what you've discussed today with originalism and textualism is that true could we see uh as and i can't remember who made this prediction um Jeffrey Tubin actually. Jeffrey Tubin predicted that abortion will be illegal in the United States in 20 states in the next uh, the next six months. Do you oh, think that's... You said 18 months, I thought. You said 18 months? Okay, oh, 18, I'm sorry. 18 is a little more plausible. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I mean, it's, six, I mean no way. six months, yeah. I mean, the court won't even, will they barely, won't. They, they'll barely be in session again. Um, and haven't they already taken cases for next year? Yeah, I mean they've started. Yeah, they, okay. I mean, they've started taking it, but they're not. Yeah. Um, so, so is is um, is Roe v. Wade likely to continue its current state? Is it well, likely to be? So, the, so the first thing to note, and this is, I mean, for the in terms of in terms of the rhetoric, of course, Roe v. Wade is the case to look at. Um, right. The case that really is the guiding precedent of, is Planned Parenthood versus Casey, right. which was decided mm-hmm. in 1992, and interestingly, was co-authored by um, by three Republicans three Republican appointees. So it was co-authored by Kennedy, of course, mm-hmm. okay. um, Sandra Day O'Connor and Justice Souter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those three co-authored the opinion. So one of the first things to think about if we're sort of, and this is one of the first things to sort of temper the apocalyptic um, um, <laughs> views here, both in both pro-life and pro-choice, is to say, you know, the reason that essentially, you know, that the abortion precedents have been so resilient is actually because of Republican appointees. And so that should immediately temper um, any sort of knee-jerk extreme okay. reactions to this moment. Um, and part of the reason for that is simply in, it, it goes back to what we already talked about with the ideals of originalism. If you think about what originalism really says, and Justice Scalia himself said this, I mean, um, you know, basically, basically that, that originalism says the court ought to essentially recuse itself from major political debates and questions. Those should be left to the legislatures and to the, and to the presidency. Um, and so in one sense, you know, it's most extreme case, right? There are some that argue, well, that means that originalism means you should overturn Casey and Roe v. Wade and basically just return this to the states. Let mm-hmm. the states decide. Mm-hmm. Um, that is possible. And it's, of course, more possible once you get another originalist on the court. Um, so it's not to say that that's impossible. Right. Okay. And so I want to I want to sort of I want to sort of say, on the one hand, that's not impossible and it becomes more probable. I mean, if you're looking at mm-hmm. just pure odds, there's right. definitely more probability for that in the future than um, than not. However, the first thing to think about is that there's sort of like three big qualifications here. So first of all, it's possible. Three big things to think about. 
first thing to think about um, is that all the justices, this is originalist, pragmatist, all of them, um, very much rely on precedent. And Mm -hmm. so they are not going to just willy-nilly change um, the laws. To the extent that they're going to change these things, it will be slow, it will be incremental, it will take a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, What that means then is that there will be a a number of political battles along the way and judicial battles along the way before this thing actually happens. So it's not to say that this isn't a big moment if it if you know if if abortion were overturned in the court and were returned to the states um it's just to say this is only the first in what would be a campaign if you're thinking Mm -hmm. of it in terms of a war Mm -hmm. so that's the first thing the second thing to think about um is once again we have justice roberts so justice roberts um is somebody who is an originalist but he's an originalist as we already said in the sort of older sense he's an originalist in the sense that he doesn't want the court to make um big changes and so a massive change would be to sort of change the court's trajectory on abortion and that just doesn't seem to be something that Roberts is particularly interested in. This seems like right. exactly the kind of issue that he has specifically said he thinks the court shouldn't move on. The court should just essentially stay the course. Yeah. And so if you have that, then essentially you can, cont- you know, then he essentially would be the fifth vote along with the other people on the left that would essentially maintain um, those 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 precedents. Um, and then finally, the other thing to think about, and this gets back to sort of the abortion would be illegal in 20 states. Um, the court has actually already been softening on in terms of allowing restrictions on abortion. I mean, the part of this goes back to Casey, so that allowed more mm-hmm. restrictions. Um, and there's some other cases as well that have allowed more um, mm-hmm. restrictions to happen. And so in some sense, abortion is already, it's not... It, I want to be careful how far I say this, but in some ways it's almost functionally illegal in a number of states already. Um, They're in the dearth of options. Right, exactly. I mean, there there are a number of states now where there's only a couple of clinics that can actually carry, legally carry out abortions. Um, And so if you want to get an abortion in a number of states, you really almost have to cross state lines already. Um, and so with that said, you know, so, so, so this is why sort of the apocalyptic, it'll be illegal in 20 states. It's like, well, you know, we're already headed that direction. It's right. not like this is, you know, and, and so, and so with that in mm-hmm. mind, I mean, the battle really does become, if Roe v. Wade is, and Casey are overturned, it really does become a political battle back in the States. And a number of States, um, still have on the books, um, laws that would sort of immediately make abortion illegal, but it's not clear that those would be maintained. It's not clear how state legislatures would respond. A number of States would probably respond by making abortion more available. Mm. Um, and so, What's that? Um, why is that? Well, um, a number of states basically, well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's saying too much, but it's, it's, it seems that essentially states would, um, there, there, there would, I, I guess, I guess my thinking behind that would be just to say there would be sort of a, a reaction against this politically. Okay. So there'd be you political would, mobilization. Right. Though, it, would, it would be an immediate mobilization okay. moment, um, where it would basically say, okay, we can no longer decide this at the federal level we now have to decide right. at the state level let's actually make the laws that we want to make um mm-hmm. so all that is to, so so those three things right so thinking about you know sort of the slow uh you know stare decisis proceduralism thinking about justice roberts and then third thinking about um you know the rea- what, what would actually happen mm-hmm. um if if these things were overturned i think really should temper people's thinking about this um yeah, I mean, it's not to say, and again, that's not to say this isn't important. It's not to say that it won't have enormous consequences long term. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. you know, we keep using this, we keep saying long term. That's because yeah. things on the court take a long time. I mean, you right. know, I mean, just as an example of that, we think about Kennedy's legacy. I mean, one of his biggest legacies is on uh, gay rights. And if we think about that, you know, Kennedy being appointed didn't make same sex marriage um, a right, it took decades. For that change to actually happen now did it happen eventually yes but it took a really long time and justice kennedy actually authored um several sort of precedent setting slow incremental changes to the law that actually led to the abergefell decision Hmm. um and so if we think about how might um um, abortion change you know it's probably going to look similar if it changes like if it's going to happen it's going to be like well you know whoever president trump appoints they author five or six opinions over the course of the next three decades and that eventually leads to an overall change Hmm. you know three you know 30 years from now so all that is to say does it matter yes um does it matter in the short term And, and you know does there mean that there's a whole lot of politics in between now and that change yeah um yeah, that seems fair. And I think um, I'd be a little surprised at this point, just given the amount of 
rulings we've had to see a sort of simple overturning of Roe v. Wade. I mean, yeah. sort of what happened with like Brown versus Board of Education, where they just sort of said, mea culpa, the previous court was wrong, right? And right. and we need to go kind of com- go in a completely different direction. I think it's going to be more that, yeah, we'll allow that restriction. Yeah, we'll allow this restriction, which they're already doing. Right. And so I think I think with this, you get more of that. You get a court that's more sympathetic to that. But I, I do think at least as, you know, Roberts would be un- unlikely to just overturn. I think you would see that as is too much. I think he would try to find some way to compromise with the liberal justices. Now where this gets more interesting is if, if, you know, in the next year or two, um, or, you know, if Trump gets reelected, you know, we get more time. Right. But if, um, you were to get somebody like Ginsburg or Breyer off right. the court, right. And they are both very elderly. Right. So that, that mm-hmm. could well happen. Um, and then it gets interesting because then Roberts is now, you know, if, if Trump were to appoint two more justices along the lines of a Gorsuch, right now, Roberts is functionally, you know, like he can't actually swing it, right? Right, right. Um, and that's where this gets more interesting. I mean, where you could actually get an, an actual overturn. Yeah. Um, because I could imagine the conservative justices on the court right now, outside of Roberts, you know, thinking seriously about doing that. Yep. Yeah. Well, we'll listen. We'll pay attention tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, if Donald Trump carries out uh, his plot promise to offer a nominee tonight, um, much, much ballyhooed. Um, before we sign off today, um, it's the middle of the summer. Uh, Three of the four of us are wearing khaki shorts. Mitch, I don't know what you're doing. Um, uh, he's got so pants on. It's so hot today, it's man. Just, you know. It's 90 today, dude. <laughs> Cut those shorts off. Shorts. Uh, and, uh, but I want to ask you, uh, what's your summer beach read? Uh, what are you, what are you reading read. this summer? Beach read, right? <laughs> I don't know if any of us have beach reads. I put that... I was going to say, I, I, I'm actually not actually like sitting, slipping a pina colada right under now. the sun, right? <laughs> so what are, you, what are you reading, Chris? More like my couch read. It's for my uh, book club, but I'm reading a book called Fellside by M.R. Carey. Okay. It's a, so far, it's about a um, um, heroin addict who um, committed a crime while, um, while high and is now in a women's prison, but I think there's going to be zombies later. No, I will wow. probably pass on that book. Yep. I am. I am currently. Uh, my son is is thirteen. So he's going into eighth mm-hmm. grade, and we are together reading um, The Great Gatsby. Okay, which oh, is really great. fun. Yeah. And we just that's finished reading with our kids To Kill a Mockingbird, which um, I think is probably the best American novel. It's, it's really hard to. It's okay. Really hard to, it's so good. Okay. And I read a lot, and I like it's I. I Here's the thing. A month from now, I'll say something different. But like having just read it, it's it's amazing. So that's that's saying something coming from the anti-plot guy. I know, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's because that has a plot. And, yeah, it, it does, does have it a has, plot. It's it has it's very plot heavy. Has a plot. It has a court case in it. Like that's, that's right. the plottiest <laughs> plot thing you can have. No, it's a courtroom drama, but it's yep, yeah. really yep. fantastic. Yep. So. Wow. It's like sold non-plot mulberry on that. that yeah, that's right. Man. Must be good. Um, let's see. I guess I'll mention three things. One is I'm currently rereading. Um, the Narnia series to my kids, so we're almost to the end of yeah. um, Horses and Boys. So we, we read it in the the order they were written, not the um, alleged chronological, chronological originalist order. Um, I am an originalist. <laughs> 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 not a textualist. Um, so we read. So we have Magician's Nephew and Last Battle to go. Um, so we've kind of been slacking off on that with our recent trip, but we got to get back to that. Um, I just reread, um, which I read like probably hmm, ten years ago now, um, A Severe Mercy by Sheldon Van Alken, which is really good. I mean, I was just really struck by that story of his. Um, sort of his and his wife's conversion and then her um, her death at a young age and um, just the way that the Lord worked in his mm-hmm. life through that. Um, and so it's really, really powerful book. So I enjoyed that. And then I'm finally doing something that I've, I've said for a long time I need to do. And um, it was at a friend's house a couple of weeks ago and he offered to lend me um, Wendell Berry, a couple of Wendell Berry books mm-hmm. of his essays. Mm-hmm. And so I am finally starting to read those. So I just actually started that um, this weekend. Um, so I'm, But so far, so good. So I'm, I'm excited about Finally getting into some Wendell Berry. Oh, yeah. Wendell Berry is wonderful. Um, yeah, so I'm, I, I'm reading uh, sort of the, my, my, my big reading project for the summer, um, which is crosses over between fun and scholarship, which for me kind of these things happen. But um, I, I'm really I, – I've started <laughs> it before. <laughs> yeah, I start, well, I've started it before, and then I, and I, and I didn't I, – I just didn't do it seriously enough. But I'm really going through – I've got, I've got a large collection of uh, Abraham Kuyper's writings, and mm. so I'm really sort of marching through that. And that's mm. both for, for, for pleasure and for um, – eventually someday I'll probably write something about Kuyper. But mm-hmm. um, but anyway, but uh, but I've really been enjoying it, like getting into him. He's um, – yeah, he's just he's just a lot of fun. He's he sits at this. So just as a quick little, if, if, Kuiper kind of seen a uh, renaissance here lately, um, but he's he's a wonderful. He was 
uh, crossover between he was a theologian first mm-hmm. so and he was a pastor and then after he was a pastor he became a political activist and then after he became a political activist he became prime minister of um <laughs> uh, denmark and so he uh, he, had, he had quite a, he had quite a trajectory he's one of these people who did more than you think is possible for a person to do in one lifetime um but you know basic yeah anyway so all that is so i'm reading him is which is which is great i'm also reading um a book called white awake um okay. which is uh basically a book on on white identity um and thinking about uh, racial identity and uh that's for just uh like a reading group um hmm. cool. and Did you say uh, it was white awake or white wide? White. White. white so it's okay. which of course is a play on right, white right, awake. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so it's basically say it's basically um thinking about what uh what is white culture and how does this hmm. um in many ways relate to um hmm. or dominate over um you know particularly african-american but also other sure. um eth- ethnic cultures so hmm. cool. um in america so uh, i'm not that far into it i can't uh endorse or not endorse it uh too much yet it's it seems pretty good so far <laughs> um but at any rate uh yeah and then the other thing that i've been doing uh which isn't quite reading um <laughs> but it's but it's been sort of close but it's kind of like reading. it's kind of like reading is i is i have i decided i was going to soldier through ken burns's documentaries oh um, i'm doing that too and so i'm i'm actually I'm probably two thirds the way through Vietnam right now. Okay. Um, and so, and so I think that sort of qualifies. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm only two episodes in, so don't tell me spoilers. Don't tell so me. No, how it no ends. spoilers. Okay. 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 I won't, I won't, I won't tell you. Uh, yeah. If, if they, I think we're going to win this thing. I yeah. Think it's it looks, it looks pretty yeah, good. Right? Go yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, 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 I mean, how can you bet against, you know, yeah. that many people and that many oh, yeah. tons of bombs? Yeah. I mean, right. There's no way to lose it. Right. Right. So. No, no. Can't blow this one. Um, so like, at any rate, it's kind of like when Japan was up two nothing in the seventieth minute, yeah, right, exactly. like that. You can't blow that, right? Right? right. Okay. Um, <laughs> on. Yeah. So so yeah. So those are the kind of my big um, summer reading mm. things, to the extent that they count as reading. We will allow reading Ken and reading is. Ken, Ken Burns gets to count. Okay, good. I'm really I was dubious when you started, but then when you got there, it's like yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like reading. <laughs> I was thinking a comic book. I think he's gonna roll out a co- like a like a manga. I'm, or I'm something. reading Watchmen. Yeah. You still yeah. need to, and, and you also you know just if you want to add a few more thousand pages to your summer reading, yeah. you should really read the Harry Potters for oh, our, that's true. Um, our future podcast. Yeah, that's true. That so. that that oh, would be th- those would truly be beach reads. Um, those are good beach reads. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I'll have to see. They're very they're very engaging once you get into it. See, well, yeah. But, Even but, I liked them, if that helps. Yeah. <laughs> and they have a plot. Yeah. <laughs> Too much sometimes. Yeah. Lots of plot. Yeah. Plot, plot, plot. All right. Well, thanks for the recommendations, guys. Um, check, you can, uh, if, you, if you need to get more specifics in those recommendations, you can always email us at electionshocktherapy at gmail.com. Uh, summer's an irregular time for us. I can't say exactly when we'll be back, but you can continue. <laughs> there'll still be things on the channel. Uh, Sam is continuing to post. Posting every Wednesday. Posting every Wednesday. Uh, interviews from his teaching project. And, and let me just say, like, I've been listening to those. Those are really fantastic. Um, and, uh, I mean, both, both in the sense of... Uh, uh, you know, just 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 the content, but also just just in terms of like uh, thinking about what it means to be a student um, as well. So I, mm-hmm. I I know a number of our listeners are probably our, our students, and if you want to think about what what it means to be a good student and how you can get the most out of you know all of the all of the money you're spending on tuition, <laughs> um, <laughs> I can't think of very many ways to to get better recommendations. And and sometimes I think Sam actually probably asked this question towards me. What would you say to your students? Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes if if you wanted sort of the cliff notes, if you just sort of fast forward to like the last fifteen minutes yep. um, of each of those interviews, I think you would get some pretty great. Yeah, I would say the, the last three questions in every interview is what advice do you have for students? What advice do you have for teachers? And what advice do you have for Bethel? So yeah. Yeah. Hmm. nice. What a great way to end. Thanks, gentlemen. Um, Let's go to the beach. All right. Um, on behalf of my colleagues here at Bethel University, you've been listening to Election Shock Therapy. Uh, we'll be back in your feed soon. Go Royals. Go Royals.